Kia ora, and welcome to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast, brought to you by CoreLogic, produced by Agents TV for the 11th of July, 2021. I'm Head of Research, Nick Goodall, and I'm joined by our Chief Economist, Calvin Davidson, down in Christchurch. Calvin, how is your weekend going, and how did that move go well? Yeah, my weekend is going pretty well. We're pretty tired. We've, we've moved house, so it's been a sort of two or three day effort to, to get in and get sorted. And, you know, you look around the house and see all these little things that need to do. I've probably got a, you know, to-do list as long as my arm. But, yeah, it feels good. You know, family's happy and not sleeping the best, a bit excited, but it's pretty good. And, and you know, just everything we expected, really. So, yeah, really happy. And, um, yeah, looking forward to settling in and getting everything sorted out, getting the lawn done. You know, all these things are pretty exciting to look forward to in the, in the spring. Um, but yeah, for now, our podcast on a Sunday. Obviously, the, obviously the uh, internet's working, so that's always a major tick when you move into a new house, so you take that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, as you say, recording on a Sunday, recording a day early due to my jury duty kicking off tomorrow, so we'll see how that goes. Our weekend so far has been good. Um, had football yesterday, we drew 1-1. Uh, feeling very sore today, feeling very boggy ground, so that was a bit tough. But then we had the Matariki fireworks last night in Wellington, which was pretty awesome. Um, and very happy to have our awesome new office that we moved into, obviously, earlier this year. Level 14, middle of town on Brandon Street there, so we got a pretty incredible view and um, you know, had some food and drinks and in, in at the office last night, took the whole family in. So it's been a it's been a good one so far. And uh do have to head off after this recording today to uh get off to a, a four-year-old birthday party at the at the swimming pool. So uh yep, the uh, the weekend just keeps on giving. So it's all good, mate. Nice one. Yeah, I forgot about those fireworks. That, that would have been because that office view is stunning. So that would have been spectacular. It was, it was awesome. So yeah, no, very happy with that one. Prime spot. And I think well, uh, every year I think we'll probably get more and more people coming to our office for it. We already had a few random visitors. And I'm sure we'll get a few more next year. But uh, hey, mate, let's kick into things then so we can get back into our weekends. Um, let's look back at last week. I think the first thing, of course, to note is uh, the bioclassification data, which is, of course, our CoreLogic series looking at who's been transacting in the market. Um, and I know you're probably just catching up on this one. It came through late last week while you were probably still moving. But I think, um, you know, for me, it was a continuation of the trend we'd seen over the last few months where 24% of sales in June went to mortgaged investors. And when you look back over the last couple of months, that's a significant drop since March, where it sort of had that recent peak of about 29%. So we have seen that drop away, almost certainly in reaction or the fact that they can't purchase because of the uh, loan-to-value ratio restrictions at that 40% limit for everyone, even though we know that some of those would have been implemented by some of the banks earlier. But now that's really hitting the market and hitting those investors quite hard. On the flip side, of course, we have seen those first-time buyers benefit from there being less competition in the market. And their share has jumped from 21% in March to 24% in June. So again, we've seen that little flip around and um, you know you can actually see that there's there's slightly more sales went to first-time buyers than those mortgaged investors in that June month as well. So that's uh, that's quite interesting. But um, as I think you, know, you pointed out, when you wrote something about this earlier, when was that? A couple of weeks ago, maybe, um, in terms of the, this is very similar to what we saw last time, the LVR limits were at 40% deposit requirement for those investors where we saw that those numbers switch around, we saw those investors drop away from the market. So it wasn't an unexpected change. Um, and when you look back to what happened last time, those numbers, yes, they dropped quite quickly of investors purchasing, and then they continue to, to trickle away um, in the next few months and quarters as well. So we'd expect to see that happen once again. Of course, we do have the extra factor here of the um, government's announced changes on the 23rd of March, which will also be holding some investors back as well. So we may even see things drop off a little bit further this time around. So um 
Yeah, I mean, any any um, thoughts on that one? As I say, like, you might not have had a chance to have a have a good look over the data, but um, yeah, anything else from you, mate? I think just to point out that the, no surprises. You know, we've seen it before, as you alluded to, the forty percent deposit requirement last time at the end of twenty sixteen caused a similar fall off in investors' market share, and, and yeah, we've seen it again. And of course, bear in mind that okay, it only became official on the first of May for forty percent, but banks had imposed it five or six months before that, so it's been in play for a while. And I guess we're just seeing that fully play out now where, where people have sort of scaled back that buying behaviour. Think again, make that distinction between new purchases or purchases of, of any type of property, new or existing, have, have tailed off in terms of market share for investors, but no real evidence of existing owners selling. So, yeah, that's that's a couple of things that people have been watching for in the aftermath of those tax changes is, is what happens to buying behaviour from now on, but also... You know, are people rushing to list and sell? And so, yep, we've seen buying tail off, but no real evidence of, of people wanting to reduce their existing portfolios. So, so that's a, a good distinction to make. And yeah, just just um, that no surprise factor, I think, and you know, potentially we will see in, in terms of the composition of purchases that shift to new builds compared to existing properties. So, yeah, be watching out for that one over the coming months. Yeah, yeah, good point. I think it's worth reiterating that no surprises point because the question then would be: we've seen a change. You know, and people would ask, is that going to cause the Reserve Bank to change things? Or is, will the government actually start to pull back some of their changes? And I think no, because we were expecting this and this is probably the intention of it as well. Um, so I think that's that's really the point of ramming that one home. The other thing I wanted to touch on was that I, I sort of um, piqued my interest in an article or a headline the other day, I think it might have been Friday, um, that said, you know, no no impact on the market from these changes or from LVRs. And I was like, what's that about? And it was a, it was a one-roof article, and it was written by Tony Alexander, who was, um, you know, who we get on really well with and, and most often agree with. But his take was actually a bit of a flip side of this. Um, and the only thing I thought, I thought to have a look over the article, it was taken from his survey data. So there's a bunch of regular surveys where he's surveying real estate agents and brokers and investors as well. I think it might even be in there now as well. And basically, you know, he takes this net view of um, are there more investors or fewer investors in the market and sort of what, what, what are the agents and the brokers saying about people? And according to that data, while there was this sort of drop off of investors being active in the market or keen for the market, you know, in that April, May period, the numbers have started to turn back the other way. So he's saying that, you know, there's this period of uncertainty, but now they're coming back in. Oh, I'm still wary of that. And look, surveys can do a job. Um, qualitative surveys can obviously be pretty good, but I think only when there's a lack of real data. But in this case, we know we've got a trustworthy data series, which is telling us how active these buyers actually are, who's actually securing properties in, in terms of purchasing them. That stuff should trump the qualitative stuff. And so I think his stuff can be quite good when there's a bit more insight into why aren't buyers active or what are buyers most concerned about but in terms of the asking a broker or asking an agent what the market's going to do because of certain changes, I think you know people aren't always not necessarily because they're lying, but it's always very hard to try and actually you know pull out the the reality from some of those things from from people's personal feelings as opposed to what's actually happening in the market. So um, I think it's worth noting that because it did as I said it was an article and a headline that, that piqued my interest. But um, it was very much against what we're saying here. So, um, you know, I, I just wanted to point that one out. You know, I think we look at the, the real data where we can and use qualitative surveys like Tony's um, to fill in some of the gaps where necessary. But in this case, I don't think we need that one. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it was worth touching on that one anyway. 
Yeah, I'd just add to that around the way that sometimes those net balances are measured. You know, you can sometimes see a really strong net balance in terms of people reporting a rise versus a fall, but it doesn't always translate into scale of that rise or fall. And so you can you can see differences between those kind of net balance surveys and, and sort of real results sometimes. Often they're going to be, be relatively useful but yeah there is there is that's that's a sort of stato thing to be aware of is that sometimes net balances can be a little misleading in terms of scale but um yeah interesting to have all these yeah. measures coming in yeah that's right i think you're probably more looking at direction of change right and, that, and it's and generally he does he says the trend has turned you know there's more i think he even said there's more fomo coming back and less foop you know um, and that's just it is the, the way it's trending as opposed to never talks about the margin increasing by 20% or whatever. Um, because I think you're right, the scale is almost irrelevant, but it's about when you see month after month of the sort of feeling changing, you know, and it's a good qualitative measure of that. Um, you know, much like the consumer surveys, consumer confidence surveys as well, you know, like again, they're really, really useful, but you are being careful about some of the scale um on that one too. So I think it's it is, it is good to probably touch on that sort of stuff as well because there are more and more of these out there. Um, but yeah, as I say, really good to fill in some of the gaps, uh, but still be really cautious with some of the some of the potential insights that are gleaned from that anyway. I agree with that. Um, okay, mate. Well, I think that's that's probably it in terms of that biclassification data. The other thing I thought to mention was um, the fact that the tax changes consultation period uh, finishes up. I think it's oh, was it Friday or was it Monday? One or the other. Tomorrow, yeah, Monday. Tomorrow, Monday, yeah, right. So as uh, so obviously people will have been able to submit their thoughts on the impact of those changes and whether they think they were sensible or not. So I'm not sure how long in terms of the timeline it'll be until we hear back from um, you know, the government in terms of the summary of those that, that consultation feedback. But uh, just worth noting, of course, that yeah, you need to submit that by, by tomorrow, which could well be today, depending on when you're listening to this as well. So this may not be all that useful. But um, yeah, it does sort of put a, a line in the sand, I suppose, for us to then hear back on, on what the, um, the, the the summary of that feedback is going to be anyway. So I thought we'd just touch on that one. Um, feel free to add anything extra to that one, but otherwise I thought we could just look ahead at what's coming up. And the big one this week, of course, being we've got another uh, monetary policy review coming out from the Reserve Bank, which includes, of course, a review of the official cash rate and where that's at, as well as their asset purchase program. And I know that you've been closely watching this one and, and how quickly things are changing on this in terms of the, the market commentary on it. So what are you sort of expecting on Wednesday from the Reserve Bank, uh, Calvin? Yeah, well, I think this this week, the actual decision, you know, may not be much change. We'll, we'll probably see the official cash rate stay at 0.25 and, and some of those other programs, especially the funding for lending, will sort of stay in place. There is some chat that the large-scale asset purchases could be sort of eased a little bit in terms of slowing the rate of purchasing. They're not going to start reversing it altogether, but just slowing that rate of purchasing uh, below what their previous indication was, which would sort of be a signal, I think, of, of where the Reserve Bank is intending to go, you know, acknowledging that, hey, things are probably picking up pretty well and better than we thought. So perhaps we don't need that much assistance as we previously thought. So that could be a signal of where things are going. But but yeah, the, the actual decision this this week could be sort of, a little bit lower key. I think people will be once again looking for the language and these types of things. But in terms of the wider picture, what's going on? I mean, I've the speed at which, you know, especially the bank economists, is uh, bringing forward their timing of the first of official cash rate rise is just, just staggering. It's crazy. I mean, it was a couple of weeks back when it was, you know, second half of next year. Some people were saying 2023, 2024. 
that's all been brought forward and and you know a few people now saying well maybe november this year and um, you know i mean sort of tongue-in-cheek but but who knows it could be people now saying august uh, before too long just the speed at which this is moving so yeah that's now there's obviously a distinction between the bank economists and what the reserve bank actually does but a lot of those guys have, have worked at the reserve bank and would have an understanding of of what you know goes on in there so yeah it's it's certainly it's fast moving and you know it, it's obviously going to have implications for for mortgage rates um, and, and, you know, we've seen those start to rise already, especially at those longer fixed periods, fixed terms. Um, but yeah, you'd have to wonder as soon as the official cash rate goes up, whether we, we certainly start to see those shorter terms go up as well. And so certainly people thinking about, you know, their long-term mortgage costs would want to be looking pretty closely at all of this. But yeah, so the actual decision on Wednesday, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit low-key, but there's a bigger there's a bigger chat going on around this. And, and yeah, don't be surprised if the official cash rate goes up, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah, and so um, I suppose we can talk a little bit more about the potential implications of that as well in the broader economy. I think it's worthwhile touching on. And I think, and also my interpretation of, you know, why this seems to be, or why the viewpoint seems to be bringing forward this OCR lift sooner is all about sort of, you know, heading off these inflationary pressures sooner rather than later. And I think we might have talked about it before, where, you know, often if you you start to try and affect the market or affect, affect inflation, um, by the time you actually do that, it's a little bit too late. And I think that seems to be where the, the bank economists are saying that's going to be up to the Reserve Bank as to whether they want to get ahead of this before time. Um, and that's why they keep bringing things forward. And of course, it is tied a lot to inflation. And, we, and I know inflation data comes out later this week too. Um, but do you want to talk about the implication or the potential implication of if we are kind of the first country, the first reserve bank to bring forward this lift in OCR, the slowdown in, in providing such support to the economy, um, on, the, on the broader economy, you know, on, on the exchange rate and all these all these other things which are so tied to it, which which economists have to take into all these all these factors into, into the equation. It's not just about, you know, inflation goes up, whack the OCR up and the job's done. You know, there's so many other considerations here. So, yeah, do you have a bit more um, of your insight into to what else is going on in the economist's brain right now? Yeah, well, certainly, like I say, it's about heading off inflation down the track. You know, it, it responds to official cash rate changes maybe six or 12 months later. So it's a bit of a balancing act for Reserve Bank to try and get ahead of the curve, as they say. But also, yeah, there's there's the wider implications. I mean, in terms of the housing market, the, the Reserve Bank and government probably sort of feel we know that they, they're relatively comfortable with where they're at now in terms of regulations, and they want to just see how that plays out. So, you know, they've kind of dealt with the housing market in, in another fashion. So the, the official cash rate now, sure, I mean, if the official cash rate goes up, it will affect the housing market too, for sure. And it could potentially have a bigger impact than all those other changes put together. So so there is that. But yeah, there's the wider impact around things like the exporting sector, and especially on the exchange rate, if, if we're the first to move, and in particular, if we move ahead of what the markets expect, you know, the bang, the, the, the impact or bang for buck in terms of that official cash rate increase will be far stronger in terms of pushing up the exchange rate, which is pretty unwelcome at the moment for um, you know, the exporting sector, which we're relying on a lot in terms of, of, of driving you know, our economy without sort of inbound tourism, of course. So yeah, it's it's when a reserve bank moves first and moves before what people are expecting and have already sort of priced in to their, their predictions or, the, or their, their market pricing, then um, you can get a big impact. And so, yeah, it, it, the, the Reserve Bank's in a tricky p- position, as always, probably, but they're trying to 
sort of um, you know control that inflation, which we know disrupts economies. You don't want prices soaring because who knows where to set wages and prices. It creates stability. But on the other hand, um, they're going to be wary of pushing out the exchange rate and, and hurting exporters. So there's, again, as I say, they're, they're always in a tricky situation. It's never easy. But um, yeah, those are the considerations going on. And, and they'll certainly be, because yeah, I, I suspect market pricing is, is still assuming an official cash rate increase into next year. So if they were to move sooner than that, it's it's going to have a quite a large impact, not only on exporters, but also the housing market. And so yeah, they'll be they'll be making a, a lot of big decisions. And and yeah, like you say, CPI data out on Friday for for inflation in Q2. Now it's 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 reasonably current actually, the CPI figures. So that's that's good. Yeah, you know, much more current than say the GDP numbers. Um, but again, it is it's sort of backward looking. You know, monetary policy is about forward looking stuff and heading off where inflation might be. In six or 12 months so but yeah if that was a strong inflation number on friday then yeah that market pricing could change again and it almost becomes guaranteed that we'd see a cash rate increase this year potentially so um yeah big number to come out on friday yeah the key question must be you know even though it's out on friday and the reserve bank released their review on wednesday do they get an inside look into what those figures look like and they must have a pretty good feel even if they don't get the official figures um, so you'd expect them to kind of know what's happened to be able to, you know, intertwine that with their with their take and their decision making on Wednesday. So um, I suppose we don't know the answer to that, but our our inkling is that they've probably got a pretty good feel for that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've, I've, I'm trying to wrap my brain. I've heard little snippets and bits and pieces about this in the past, and I can't quite recall if, if they do or they don't. I know they see some numbers in advance, things like probably the GDP and balance of payments type figures. I think. Um, certainly government ministers would, whether the Reserve Bank does as well. Yeah, again, not too sure. But yeah, there's there's um man, there's a lot, there's a lot to watch. And you'd and you'd think that potentially, you know, that as I say, if they scale back those those asset purchases, the speed of those asset purchases, it could be a reflection of the CPI numbers to come in a few days' time. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting week for, for monetary policy, that's for sure. It will be, yeah, for sure. Um, and also a very busy Wednesday. Uh, there's a few other data releases that day, uh, net migration that day, which I think we almost don't even bother talking about at the moment. Um, but I think we're also expecting to see the Real Estate Institute's um, sales figures for June as well, including their index. I suppose the, re- the thing that is going to be of most interest to me is, of course, that we saw that surprise in the CoreLogic House Price Index at the start of the month for June, where we saw prices drop or values drop in a few places like Gisborne, New Plymouth and Napier. Um, so what I'm really interested to see is what their index is saying for June as well, uh, once they release that data. So I'll be paying close attention to that one, whether I'm in the jurors box or whatever's going on, I'll catch up that evening. But um, that's where I'm kind of looking out for. And also just for sales volumes as well, how many actual sales were done by real estate agents in the month of June. Um, just interesting to see, you know, often it's likely to be down just due to winter. We know we do see volumes drop away and we do see seasonal impact on volumes. We don't always see seasonal impact on values. Um, so any drop in the index, we, we do think would be reflective of the, the broader market as opposed to it just being winter because we don't really see prices or values you know, go through too much change over the different seasons. Uh, much to many people's surprise, um, I know that we've I've seen before when people go, oh, it's just you know, a bit of a drop in price or slow down in price because of winter. And I'm like, mm, when you look at it every year, it doesn't actually affect price. It only affects the number of sales which go on. Um, so, yeah, certainly one worth noting as well once we see those figures and we'll see, you know, what they lead with on that one. But that's what I'll be looking up for anyway. Yep. Yeah. And on those sales volumes, obviously, 
a bit difficult to compare back a year ago. You know, maybe we were we were starting to see the start of the upturn after lockdowns, but probably in terms of because as you say, if you're comparing month on month, it's probably going to be down because it's winter. So you need to look annually, and, and probably the last annual comparison isn't that useful. So we might have to look back a couple of years to, to 2019 to see sort of where they're at in a broader context. But certainly, you know, we've been anticipating that slowdown and, and maybe just some signs in the past couple of months that it's starting to come through, so reflecting all of the changes in the market and just general affordability pressures too. So, so yeah, that'll be interesting numbers as well this week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think the other one this week is another important one and tied into all the stuff we've talked about today in terms of investor activity and what's going on off the back of the changes is the rental data for June um, from Stats New Zealand. So I think that'll obviously be another really interesting one um, and one that you know we'll, we'll make sure that we, we put some information out there on, I think, in terms of how much change is going on there. Last month, um, there was, you know, the... The dollar value of new tenancies increased quite a bit month on month. So I've got a few headlines to try and strip out some of that volatility. So I'm interested to see if June does that or if it continues to spike, then maybe we are seeing this reaction from the landlords increasing their rent. So it'll be an interesting one to track on that that one. What, what day is that data out, Calvin? Do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, that's out on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. I, I, I haven't got it clear in my mind. It's certainly out in the middle of the week. And I think around those numbers, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, you know, I don't want to stick dogmatically to the view that, that rents aren't going to spike as a result of these tax changes. I mean, if, if they do, you know, put your hands up and say yes. But there's so many other things to, we need to give it a bit more time, you know, because um, there's just general supply and demand pressures. We know that the population's grown and, and perhaps the supply of properties hasn't kept up. So you'd think that that would be affecting people what they're willing to pay for houses, either in terms of rent or in terms of buying them. So there's there's those general pressures as well as we had that rental freeze last year. So in terms of annual comparisons, you know, there still could be a bit of volatility going on in there. And if, if you look at simply the level of rents themselves in dollar terms, you can kind of draw a pretty steady kind of trend line through it that, yep, it fell away from the trend last year as we had that freeze and it's kind of just returned to that level. So, so yeah, there's there's a bunch of stuff in there. I don't think we could necessarily say, even if we see perhaps a, another spike in rents, whether it's you know, all due to the to the tax changes. But um, as I say, you'd put your hand up and, and, and say, well, you know, that is becoming clear if that is the case. So, so yeah, that'll be, again, interesting to watch. Really, really good point. And I think, you know, last, when we did, when I put last put out a release talking about the fact that we didn't, you know, we weren't seeing a spike in rents um, most recently. And we don't think it's because of, you know, and we don't think, you know, there's going to be one because of the changes. And then um, someone said to me, yeah, we'll look at ANZ though. Their interpretation is that they might've seen a reaction in the market. And so I think it is worth noting that you can interpret the data in many different ways. Um, I, I, I totally agree with you. I hope we're not too dogmatic that we're just going to stick to our guns regardless and keep trying to find data to back up our original hypothesis, um, which I don't think we will, but certainly one worth noting because I think you're right, because there's so many factors, because things like year-on-year comparisons are tough, because we're coming off a rental freeze, all these things do make it really hard to interpret clearly, which means that you can kind of pick and choose the data to suit your take. Um, so I think we just need to... Well, we'll need to certainly be, you know, tough on ourselves and make sure we do look at every single angle here. And I think that's like your point when you look at it just on a straight line basis of the actual rental dollar figure, um, you know, and just I mean, you try and take out that blip where rents didn't go up 
and carry on, it looks like things are just carrying on just like they were prior to COVID hitting. So it wouldn't necessarily be an extraordinary change. So there's a number of different things. And I think the key thing is going to be explaining those, explaining why we believe what we do, how we're interpreting the data and not just sticking to one line and, and sticking with it. So yeah, good call. And the, the word dogmatic is a, is a very pertinent one in this situation, I think. So we'll, we'll be very conscious of that as, as more and more data comes to light on this one. Yeah, for sure. Probably the first time dogmatic's been used on this podcast, but uh, so. that's a pretty, pretty, pretty cool word. <laughs> no, good on you. All right, mate. Well, anything else to cover off, or should we go and uh, enjoy the rest of our weekends? Yeah, let's uh, let's go enjoy. I think, uh, yeah, just looking, it'll be another another busy week ahead, as as we talked about with all those figures. So, um, yeah, important week actually for for data releases. So we'll, we'll have all the all the goss next week. Very much so. I'll see what I can do. Obviously, trying to you know, keep keep a track of it all, but I'm sure I'll catch up in the evenings if I'm uh, stuck in court during the week. So, uh, looking forward to my jury service. By the way, um, I kind of hope I do get picked as long as it's an interesting case. So we'll see how that goes. First time ever being called up, so I'm intrigued to see how it all goes. But I have heard some horror stories as well. So I'm not. Uh, hopefully, I'm not too you know disillusioned to think it's just going to be like the TV programs. Um, and thinking it's going to be all this high-profile, really interesting stuff. It could well be some it's not so interesting as well. So we'll wait and see how that goes, of course. Um, but, yeah, just want to say thanks once again, mate. Thanks for giving up part of your Sunday morning. I uh, really do appreciate that time, and, and it was a, it's an important one to get done. I want to make sure we still recorded this one, despite the fact that I wouldn't be at work, obviously, tomorrow morning. So um, thanks very much for, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. All good. No worries. All right, just let me say thanks for listening. Please do subscribe, rate, and review us as well. Um, give us that little five stars. Helps us to get the word out there. And feel free to get in touch with us too. Are any things that's popping up in your mind or anything you disagree with, anything you're seeing at the, at the front line, um, please do get in touch and let us know. We're available on Twitter, LinkedIn, and on our email addresses, all in the show notes as well. So please do get in touch. Okay, let me say thanks very much. My name's Nick. He's Calvin. You've been listening to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast. Matiwa. Thank you.